you know, if you if you gave your life to Jesus in in uh, Syria at the moment or somewhere like that, you would be getting told that you've got to be prepared to go through persecution. You've got to be prepared to uh, even have your head cut off by ISIS and not recant of the faith, wouldn't you? You would expect that that's how they would be doing older calls. They would be calling them to strengthen them to stand in the face of great persecution and great opposition. You know what I mean? Because they're seriously confronted with that on a daily basis. They walk out their front door, they don't know if someone's just going to shoot them in the head. Because they're hated everywhere they go. And Jesus says, if they hated me, they'll hate you also. So when, when these times erupt, when the terrible times erupt, are we going to stand firm? And that's the question we've got to be prepared to answer now. Because it's not that you answer it when you're in the situation. Because you might be one of those that flee the faith. That become apostates. That run from Jesus. Because you just think, no way am I supposed to be going through this. Because my pastor never told me that I have to suffer. My pastor never told me I have to go through persecution. No one said I had to go into prison. No one said that I had to get tortured. I'm saying it. <laughs> I suppose that I have to say it. I have to say it because this is happening worldwide. And anyone who reads the Fox's Book of Martyrs will know that it's been the common occurrence in Christianity among true Christians from day one. Eleven of the twelve disciples were martyred. And all of their disciples faced great persecution and martyrdom. And it went right through. There a, there's a thread. And you can trace tr true Christianity by a thread of martyrdom throughout the ages. 13, 16 says, He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Can't, cannot buy anything unless you have this mark. Now there's places in the world where that mark is already being implemented. And uh, we have the technology right now available to us in all of our supermarkets. It's called PayWave. And if you had a mark, like a little tattoo, uh, RFID tattoo, you just wave past the PayWave. And you don't need a pin because it's you. You know what I mean? And, uh, and it's already ready for the Mark of the Beast system to be implemented. All the I don't know what has been holding it up. I believe Jesus is holding it up because he wants to give humanity more time. He wants to let us wake up and get oil, as Judah was reading in the uh, in that scripture. Remember, it says that he went away for a long time, and they all fell asleep. Everyone fell asleep, so the whole church into a deep sleep. And then when he was coming, when they heard that he was coming, they woke up. Some had the oil of the Holy Spirit, some didn't. So we've got to make sure we are buying oil. Amen. In that sense, you know, we've got to get the oil from the Lord now, not when it comes to crunch time. Because what are you going to do if you just cruise through the rest of your life, forget about all these things, then one day you wake up and on the news they're saying all credit cards are no longer going to be accepted. You've got two weeks to hand your cash in, your credit cards in and whatever else. And you've got to go down to your nearest, you know, agency and get a mark. And you have to get this mark. And if you don't get the mark, you won't be able to buy or sell. You won't be able to access your bank account. What are you going to do at that moment? If you haven't considered it in advance, the implications of that system being in place. Because if that system comes in place, do you know how many Christians will more than likely just go... No worries. I'll get it. I'm, I'm saved. Once saved, always saved. I can't lose my salvation. I'm in. Revelation 14, verse 9. And it says, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury which he has poured full strength into the cup of his wrath, he will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lord. 
and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls, listen to this, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints, that's us, who obey God's commands or commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Why does it call for patient endurance? Because our faith is going to be tested at that time. Because you're going to have a choice. Take the mark and Satan will provide for you. Don't take the mark and Jesus will provide for you. Which way are you going to go? Who are you going to choose? Are you going to say, I'll take the mark and I'll just live out my life. I'll trust that I'm safe because I believe in Jesus. But then you're... Your faith has been placed in Satan. But you've got to be able to put your faith in Jesus and know, even if I have to starve, I will never receive that mark. Amen. Nice to see you all here. Sorry about the... Uh, Jesse. When I um, replied to you, I said, God bless you and kiss, kiss. It's just a habit. I the kiss, kiss thing. I'm trying to take that back somehow. You should have said, no worries, kiss, kiss. My back. <laughs> Greet each other with a holy kiss. That's exactly right. That's right. That's right. But us men, we're still troubled by it. <laughs> Revelation 6. Who enjoys studying the Revelation? Hopefully you'll be blessed by the uh, message today. We're getting into some, some very uh, powerful verses, probably in, in the sense of it, from an eschatological point of view, the most, uh, uh, so many different views and opinions on what these scriptures mean. Now, what I'm going to present today is what I believe they are, um, to the most part, and I'm still not dogmatic on that because there's just there's so much room and the the issue that I, I'm going to hopefully get to the point where I can show you this um, screen which shows the timings of, of certain things occurring um, when the trumpets and the bowls of God's wrath and all that are poured out where that occurs on a time scale within the seven year tribulation period um, that is that will be my opinion um, from my research but it's it's up for debate and don't worry it gets debated um, no one holds back on this on the internet, do they? We're looking at the breaking of the seven seals. So go to Revelation 6, 1 to 2, and it says, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. So Jesus is the Lamb. He's opening the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. And he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. So the rider, I believe, and this is up for debate, is a demonic spirit. And he's holding a bow, and it doesn't say bow and arrow, it just says a bow. So it's just he's just holding a bow, and he wants war, because he's bent on conquest. But I think this is, again, interpretive. I think the reason why it doesn't say bow and arrows is because the bow represents that he's ready, but he's not going to fire yet. The war isn't going to start with him. And uh, then you see the white horse that he's riding represents an imposter or counterfeit Christ because Christ also comes on a white horse, doesn't he? Later in, in the book of Revelation, we, we see him returning with the angels of heaven and he's on a white horse and he comes back to earth. Must be a powerful vision um, or visual to see. The white horse usually, or the whiteness, represents peace and purity and holiness and all these things, righteousness. So he's coming as someone that's holy, someone that's righteous, someone that brings peace. And uh, so I see that as the Antichrist because everything we read about the Antichrist is he's going to do that very thing. He's going to deceive the masses. He's going to get the worship of the masses. Multitudes and multitudes of people will bow down to him, except the Christians. And because we're not bowing down to him, that's why the Christians will be persecuted. 
He's crowned as a conqueror, bent on conquest. And I believe he'll bring about world peace through a signing of a peace treaty with Israel and the nations round about them, which fits in with you know Daniel's 72-week prophecy that there's this guy that comes along and he signs, gets the, the peace in, in that area, in the Middle East there, with Israel and all their surrounding nations. And gets them to sign a peace treaty because he's an influential character. He's on the world scene and people listen to him and people are behind him and he, he you know, if Netanyahu is still there, he gets Netanyahu on his side. You know what I mean? He gets all of these leaders on his side. So he's a, it's a powerful uh, spirit that is operating in this false messiah and he'll be treated like a messiah as well. We know we have many uh, typologies in the past. One of them is uh, Hitler. You know, Hitler was treated like a messiah. He was actually considered the messiah. He began the thousand-year reign of peace, the millennial reign. You know, but he wasn't the one. Like, if you lived back then, you would have been certain Hitler is the Antichrist. Amen? Yes. Who would have not thought that? Even when you look back at the videos of him and stuff, you think, gee, surely he was the, the Antichrist. You know, but... Um, He's, he wasn't the Antichrist, but he was a Antichrist, a kind of, or a, an Antichrist to come, because Paul said many Antichrists have come. Back in the days of Paul, there were many uh, emperors who used to call themselves the high and exalted one and all sorts of things, the God above all gods, and, and they gave themselves these titles and they put their heads on coins and, and uh, pronounced themselves to be, you know, gods of kinds, you know, and... Uh, and they were treated like that. So they were all Messiah, um, sorry, Antichrist. And Paul said, many Antichrists have come, but there is the one. Yeah. Now this, this one, in a sense, will be like uh, Satan incarnate. You know, sort of like the whole virgin birth, immaculate conception, but I'm from the whole other side. You know what I mean? But he, he won't be immaculately conceived. He'll be, um, you know, filthily conceived. Um, and he, he will rise. Now, who believes as a Christian that we are going to see the Antichrist? Or we might, we might not, hopefully, you know, we might move on from this life. I, don't, I doubt it. I've got a feeling that the world's affairs are coming to a head at the moment. It's getting pretty intense out there in many respects. We don't feel it here in Adelaide, do we? But if you look at world news, you get this sort of sense that it's coming up. You know, the Antichrist is rising. Um, but who believes that the Antichrist will come on the scene one day? Yeah, anyone who reads honestly reads the Bible has got to believe that there is this foe called the Antichrist who's going to come and rise up and take dominion over the whole earth and will control everyone on the planet. And this will be a, a day that could be soon. And the reason why I preach about these things, because I've got a lot of interest in Christianity, the reason is, is because I remember when I first uh, considered myself a minister and considered myself to come into ministry, that the Lord put it on my heart to prepare God's people for great tribulation. You know, if you, if you gave your life to Jesus in, in uh, Syria at the moment or somewhere like that, you would be getting told that you've got to be prepared to go through persecution. You've got to be prepared to uh, even have your head cut off by ISIS and not recant of the faith, wouldn't you? You would expect that that's how they would be doing older calls. They would be calling them to strengthen them to stand in the face of great persecution and great opposition. You know what I mean? Because they're seriously confronted with that on a daily basis. They walk out their front door, they don't know if someone's just going to shoot them in the head. Because they're hated everywhere they go. And Jesus says, if they hated me... They'll hate you also. So when, when these times erupt, when the terrible times erupt, are we going to stand firm? And that's the question we've got to be prepared to answer now because it's not that you answer it when you're in the situation because you might be one of those that flee the faith, that become apostates, that run from Jesus because you just think, no way am I supposed to be going through this because my pastor never told me that I have to suffer. My pastor never told me I have to go through persecution. No one said I had to go into prison. No one said I had to get tortured. But I'm saying it. <laughs> I suppose that I have to say it. 
I have to say it because this is happening worldwide. And anyone who reads the Fox's Book of Martyrs will know that it's been the common occurrence in Christianity among true Christians from day one. Eleven of the twelve disciples were martyred. And all of their disciples faced great persecution and martyrdom. And it went right through. There was a, there's a thread. And you can trace tr true Christianity by a thread of martyrdom throughout the ages. That's how you know, in many respects, who the Christians are. Because they're getting martyred uh, you know, by the Catholic Church through the Dark Ages. The true Christians that were trying to write the Bible in the common language. And because of that, they were getting burnt at the stake. And you think, really? Don't the Catholic Church want the people to read the Scriptures? No. Because that means the Catholic Church can't deceive the people anymore and teach them the lies that they've been teaching, that you've got to pay for your family to be saved. Your dead loved ones, you have to give us money so that they will come into the kingdom of God. Get them out of purgatory, which is not scriptural. Is that true? Is salvation free? Salvation is free. Jesus Christ paid for our salvation by his blood. All he requires of us. Well, he's purchased us. Because he's purchased us, he owns us. Therefore, we've got to be completely devoted to him and walk in him. We don't have to give money to the church to get them out of purgatory, your loved ones out of purgatory. You don't have to pay so that you go to heaven. You know? Might be easier. How much is it to get in heaven? Ten grand. All right, I'll save up for it. And then I'll pay when I've got the money. And then I'm going to heaven. It doesn't matter how I act. That's not, that's not the truth, is it? And this is what was getting taught in the Dark Ages. That's what was called Dark Ages. That's why the church suffered tremendously. That's why you've, you, you've noticed the thread of true Christians through it all because they were the ones that were getting burned at the stake. They were the ones that were getting tortured beyond belief. If you ever read, like I keep saying it, Fox's Book of Martyrs, you will read some of the most gruesome tortures that people had to undergo. There was this lady, a, a lady of very weak constitution, they thought. She was a very skinny lady and, and didn't seem very strong. And she was put through the most terrible tortures. And I believe the story is, because I haven't read the book in a while, I should actually do a refresher. Um, she was put in a sack and knocked around a, a, a stadium by a bull. And then they took her and they did all kinds of things to her. And then I think at the end of it, they put her onto a bed of iron and roasted her for about 12 hours, slowly over slow, low heat. And this woman, through it all, never recanted of Jesus Christ, held to the faith all the way to the end. But that's what she suffered, this lady. She's a hero of the faith. You know? When you read it, you have to read it. It really impacts you. You just think, wow. Some of it's so graphic, you just about can't read it. But then you think in your mind, I have to read it because this Christian went through it. So... We have to be prepared. Amen? Yes. Let's hope that, you know, we, I always think like this. Be prepared to go through and then hopefully not have to, rather than not be prepared to go through and then be forced to. Yeah, because if you're forced into it, that's going to be a test. If you're, if you're um, you know, shoved into the situation and you didn't expect to be there, that's why the Bible says many will fall away from the faith and betray and hate each other. Because to fall away, what they'll do, they give up the faith in the face of this persecution. And then the people that will release them say, well, you've got to give us the names of where you meet, the people that you meet with. Who are they? Where do they meet? And to give up the, uh, and to be set free, they will have to say, well, they meet at such and such a place under a tree. And then they'll go and grab those people. So they'll betray and in the process of doing it, that they'll hate the whole Christian concept altogether. So we don't want to be in that boat, do we? Who's finding this quite sobering at the moment? It's not what I expected to preach, by the way. <laughs> it's not in my notes anywhere. Um, so I believe that this conqueror that's been on conquest will bring about world peace. But he's a deceiver. Seal 2, Revelation 6, 3-4. And it says in 
Verse 3, when the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. So as I said this once before, but I'll say it again, that peace that was taken is, I believe, the breaking of the peace treaty. And uh, so the rider is, again, a demonic spirit, has power to take peace and to cause men to murder each other. And he held a large sword. So this time he's got a sword. He's, he's not just got a bow, but potentially no arrows. I'm not saying that's the actual truth of it, but that's what you can take from it. But when he holds a large sword, that means he means business. You know, when, you, when, you, when you've got a sword, if someone comes up to you with a sword and points it towards you, do you sort of go, oh, yeah, you don't mean business? You do. You're threatened. He's got the sword and he, he's coming out to uh, take control or, or break the peace treaty and cause men to slay each other. The red horse can, and, and many commentators believe it represents bloodshed. This spirit causes the Antichrist to break the peace treaty and this could be the beginning of the Third World War. Could be. That's one way of looking at it. And I, I sort of tend to believe that if there's a Third World War, it could be the Great Tribulation. Could be the Third World War. But it would be a war like no other war. It'd be a very different war. Be extremely religious war. It'll be all about religion. And people will be um, taught to hate Christians with a passion. Because Christians, the true Christians, don't fit into their you know, compromising boxes that they expect all the other religions to fit into. When they make this, there's a huge, who knows about the ecumenical movement at the moment in the world? You know, who knows what ecumenical means? Ecumenicalism uh, means that it embraces all religions. It's, uh, all religions are acceptable. And there's a huge ecumenical movement, and guess who started it? The Pope. The Pope, the Catholic Church. And uh, there's video footage you can see it, and he has like um, Muslim leaders there, Hindu leaders, and Baha'i leaders, and he's got like snake charmers, and uh, you know, snake oil type, what do they call them? Um, wall, uh, witches, um, what do they call them? Um, witch doctors. Witch doctors, and a whole bunch of shamans, and, and so on. And they all meet in the Vatican, and they all come together and celebrate unity under this ecumenical movement. And that to me is disturbing because none of those religions have anything in common. They all believe distinctly different things and there is no common ground. But to make common ground, they, they give up something. They compromise something. And then there's, the, the, of course, the Catholic Church, who everyone thinks is the Christian Church. And everyone thinks, well, the Christians are in on it too. No, they're not. The ones that really know the truth, they're not part of it. They don't go near that sort of a gathering. So I believe it could be the Third World War. The breaking of the third seal, Revelation 6, 5 to 6, let's read that. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what, should, what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. So the rider again, a demonic spirit, brings about a famine upon the whole world. The black horse represents famine. In Lamentations 5.10 it says, Our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible famine. This rider is bringing about this famine. So it's obviously a deliberate act to reduce or cause the rise of, of prices to be at a point where, well, it happened in Germany, didn't it? I remember there's some footage they, they show all the time of a man with a wheelbarrow full of money coming to, just wheeling it in to buy a loaf of bread. The inflation was going that fast, it was going that high, it's the equivalent of getting to the McDonald's drive-through, ordering your Big Mac, and they're saying $5 to you, and by the time you get to the window, it's $5.50. Inflation was flying up and it got to the point where people couldn't eat because they didn't have enough money to, to buy food. And this is said that it will, uh, the, the scriptures tell us this will happen on, uh, on the face of the whole earth. Escalating prices bring men, uh, brings men to near starvation. 
The oil and the wine reference could mean that the average person could not afford such luxuries. That you would probably be selling the oil to get food and selling the wine if anyone had the money to buy it. Uh, this, I believe, sets the stage for the mark of the beast system, which, is, uh, which the Antichrist will force everyone to take. And that's Revelation 13. So let's turn to Revelation 13, 16. You know what's interesting about this verse is whether you're a Christian or not, and there's many conspiracy theorists around the earth and they like to put their videos on and they're not Christian but they're talking about end times and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, revealing things that are going on in the government, you know, those sort of guys. And uh, there's lots of them and whether they're Christian or not, they all refer to this scripture, don't they? They like this, they like to pull this one out of the scriptures. Um, but forget about Jesus Christ. But it said in Revelation verse uh, 13, verse 16, it says, He also forced everyone. This is the Antichrist, who I believe is being referred to here, or the, these spirits are the spirits that the Antichrist is using, or being used, or, or causing things to happen on his behalf. 13, 16, it says, He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Can't, cannot buy anything unless you have this mark. Now, there's places in the world where that mark is already being implemented. And uh, we have the technology right now available to us in all of our supermarkets. It's called PayWave. And if you had a mark, like a little tattoo, a RFID tattoo, you just wave past the PayWave. And you don't need a pin because it's you. You know what I mean? And, uh, and it's already ready for the Mark of the Beast system to be implemented. All the I don't know what has been holding it up. I believe Jesus is holding it up because he wants to give humanity more time. He wants to let us wake up and get oil, as Judah was reading in, the, uh, in that scripture. Remember, it says that he went away for a long time and they all fell asleep. Everyone fell asleep. So the whole church into a deep sleep. And then when he was coming, when they heard that he was coming, they woke up. Some had the oil of the Holy Spirit, some didn't. So we've got to make sure we are buying oil. Amen? In that sense. You know, we've got to get the oil from the Lord now, not when it comes to crunch time. Because what are you going to do if you just cruise through the rest of your life, forget about all these things, then one day you wake up, and on the news they're saying all credit cards are no longer going to be accepted. You've got two weeks to hand your cash in, your credit cards in, and whatever else. And you've got to go down to your nearest, you know, agency and get a mark. And you have to get this mark, and if you don't get the mark, you won't be able to buy or sell. You won't be able to access your bank account. What are you going to do at that moment? If you haven't considered it in advance, the implications of that system being in place. Because if that system comes in place, do you know how many Christians will more than likely just go, no worries, I'll get it. I'm, I'm saved, once saved, always saved. I can't lose my salvation, I'm in. You know, John MacArthur believes so strongly in once saved, always saved, he actually said... Even with that mark, a Christian cannot lose the salvation, even if they receive it. And John MacArthur is one of the most influential Christians out there. I, I like a lot of his stuff, but I don't like that. Because let's have a look. Let's go a bit further. Revelation 14, verse 9. And it says, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which he has poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lord, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls, listen to this, this calls for patient endurance. 
on the part of the saints, that's us, who obey God's commands or commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Why does it call for patient endurance? Because our faith is going to be tested at that time. Because you're going to have a choice. Take the mark and Satan will provide for you. Don't take the mark and Jesus will provide for you. Which way are you going to go? Who are you going to choose? Are you going to say, I'll take the mark and I'll just live out my life? I'll trust that I'm safe because I believe in Jesus. But then you're... Your faith has been placed in Satan. But you've got to be able to put your faith in Jesus and know, even if I have to starve, I will never receive that mark. Amen? I remember Barry Smith. Who remembers Barry Smith? Yeah, He used to have a, a, a sticker that he'd put on the back of the car, uh, cars, you know, a bumper sticker, don't take the mark. <laughs> I like that. Just tell everyone, don't take it, don't take it. We should put it back on our, our cars again, shouldn't we? <laughs> But don't take it, even if you have to die of starvation. But do you know what? This is when our faith will be tested. And this is when our prayer life will be tested. This is when we're going to have to get serious with God because we're going to have to trust in him to provide for every step of the way. Amen? Yes. And who knows God can provide? Yes. You know, ravens brought food to Elijah in the desert. You know, if he can provide for Elijah in the desert... If he can provide for the Israelites in the desert, he can provide for us too. And I've said this quite a few times in the church. Most of you might not have heard it or remember it. It's our old one. But I, I, I've always said that more has been said about these days that we're heading into in Scripture than the Exodus. There was a few prophecies about what Moses was going to do with the Israelites and getting them out of Egypt. And, and God did miraculous things. Amen? He parted the Red Sea. He, he did all these wonderful things in the desert. He provided manna, came down from heaven. And he did all sorts of things. Water came out of the rock and all those things. Right? Now, more has been said prophetically about the time we're heading into than that time. So what kind of miracles has God got planned for the last days? When he preserves his people. When the people put their faith in Him and trust in Him for their provision and, then, and protection and God performs miracles as, they, he, as He moves them out from among the masses and brings them into places of safety. God can do it. Who believes that? Yes. You know, if God wanted to, He could just, in, it, just like that, materialise food in front of us like a banquet. There's no problem. Remember, uh, I think it was Elijah or Elisha, one of them, he went into a, uh, a widow's home and said, just start running the oil and get jars, collect up jars from all your neighbours. Who knows this story? Mm -hmm. Collected up jars and jars and jars and jars and that, as many as they could get. And, they, and as the tap was running, it kept on running. And he said, it will not stop running until you run out of jars. And the, on the last jar, you got the last drop. That's God. The feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000 by Jesus turned, you know, a few fish and a few loaves into enough to feed 5,000 men, and that's not counting women and children as well. More than likely 12,000. So, or more. Two, two uh, people would have like five kids, you know. So, yeah, incredible what God can do. But that's where we have to trust. That's where we have to trust that if we're ever pressed to this, and the only reason I'm preaching this and putting emphasis on it is because it, it's the Word of God says it will happen. And we're living in a technological age where the chances are it's the next step. Amen? You know, for years we just used cash. We didn't have credit cards when I was a kid. And if you did, it was very expensive. I can't remember. I remember my parents did, never got one. But now everyone has a credit card. Amen? Yeah? And we're so used to just sticking it in the machine or waving it. And that's got us all completely, you know, and most of us, you know, some weeks can go by, we haven't seen cash in the purse for weeks and weeks and weeks. Mm. Who's had that experience? Got any cash? Got no cash. I don't have cash on me anymore. It's all plastic. So the next obvious step is mark on the wrist or on the forehead. And you'll be going to the supermarket and they'll be bringing up the thing and going zip to your head. So 
if it's coming, be ready, be prepared, set it up, set in your heart now how you're going to react in the situations ahead. Make a decision now. Because the Bible says he forces everyone, rich and poor, uh, young and old, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark. Forces them. And I think that forcing is the fact that they can't buy or sell without it. That's pretty, that forces, doesn't it? That'll force people. Seal 4, Revelation 6, verse 7 to 8. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. That's, this is like, you know, pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? A fourth, a quarter of mankind wiped out by different beasts and, and so on. The rider is death and Hades. These spirits move upon men through sword, which is war, famine, uh, plague. The horse before it was saying that you're going to have to pay a lot of money for food. This horse is saying famine is upon you. <laughs> So if you take the mark, this is what's going to happen, I reckon. All these things are going to happen. You're still going to end up starving. Because famine is promised in Scripture. So don't take the mark. Because even if you do, you will still, more than likely, starve. Plague, sicknesses, and by wild beasts. And they'll kill a quarter of the earth's inhabitants. The four dreadful judgments. In Ezekiel 14, 21, it said this. It says this, For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, How much worse will it be when I send against Jerusalem my four dreadful judgments? So this is why these four judgments are called dreadful judgments. And listen to what they are. Sword and famine, wild beasts and plagues to kill its men and their animals. Isn't that amazing? That's in Ezekiel. That's what God allowed to come upon Jerusalem because they were so disobedient. And this is what he's going to allow, these four dreadful judgments to come upon the whole earth. If you don't die of famine, you'll probably die of a, a sickness of some kind. If you don't die of that, a wild beast will grab you. Uh, and if you don't die from a wild beast, you'll probably run into some army or a soldier or someone and you'll get killed by the sword. So there's no, not many ways out. Not, that's not a good situation. The breaking the seals continued. The pale or yellowish-green horse represents the colour of the dying and the dead. Yeah, who's the nurse here? Yeah, yellowish green. Definitely what you've seen. This is definitely a time of great testing upon the face of the whole earth. As Jesus said, Matthew 24, 21, For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. We're heading in, like with every day, we're a day closer to this day, or this period. It will be the worst time in history. But those of us that put our faith in God will have to have patient endurance because some, if they're destined to die, will die. And it'll be for the glory of God. But then there'll be some that won't because the Bible says when Jesus returns, there's those alive on the earth. And as you can tell, I'm not teaching pre-tribulation rapture here. I'm preaching what the scriptures say, that there are saints on earth during these days. And they're going through these terrible times. And you'll see in this next seal, Revelation 6, 9, 11. And it says, when, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. So souls of those who had been slain under the altar. Now, if they're under the altar of God, that means they're Christian. They're Christian. Because only Christians get under the altar of God and get into, the he into heaven. So if they're there, that's what they are. Because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained, they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed, as they had been, was completed. So they're told, wait a little longer because there's more of you to come. There's more of you down there who are going to be killed and you have to wait. 
until they're killed. This is pretty confronting stuff, isn't it? Isn't that confronting? It's like, full on. Like, when I read this, you know, that's why a lot of Christians say, I can't read the book of Revelation, I don't go near the book of Revelation. But you read it and you're getting an insight into the kind of time that we're heading into, the worst of time, unequaled from the beginning of creation until now and never to be equaled again. There will never be a time this bad. So why, aren't every, why isn't every pulpit preaching this? Why isn't every preacher in the world preaching on this? Preparing the people, because the scriptures also talk about a great apostasy, a great falling away of the faith, where multitudes of Christians will give up Jesus Christ. I don't want to see that. Do you want to be one that gives up the faith? You don't want to be one that gives up the faith. So you have to, you know, you have to know this stuff and you have to have dealt with it. You know, this is foundational Christian teaching. This is what the early church called foundational teaching. Get this part right and you're fine from then on. You won't give up the faith no matter what confronts you. So martyrs for Christ under the altar of God, calling out for judgments against the Antichrist and those who follow him. That's what they are. They're Christians under there saying, now it's your turn. Because Jesus says in the scripture, it's mine to avenge. I will avenge. So on earth, they didn't try to avenge themselves. They just accepted their the sacrifice that they were about to make of themselves and they saw it as honouring Jesus Christ. But when they get to heaven, they said, hey, you said you're going to avenge our blood. When are you going to do it? We want to see it. Because, you know, we didn't like what happened down there. We didn't like what those people did to us. And so that's why they're calling out for that. A great multitude in white robes appears also because they were given a white robe and told to wait a little longer until their fellow servants had come in. And let's have a look at this uh, scripture in Revelation 7.13. Just so go one chapter over. 7.13 to 15. And it says, Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And John said, I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of what? the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple and He who sits on the throne will spread His tent over them. They came out of the great tribulation. Are saints in the great tribulation? It's clearly said there. Now what pre-tribulations to say is they're, uh, they're tribulational saints. They get converted after the church is gone. Well, the only problem they have with that is there is no actual scripture that says that the church is gone before this time. There's only scriptures that talk about Jesus returning on the last day. Not before the seven year period or before the three and a half year period. It's before the last day. Oh, sorry, on the last day. And I'll, I'll be talking about that in a second. Those with white robes had come out of the great tribulation. They had been slain. The seal 6, Revelation 6, 12 to 17. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. And listen to these words and tell me if they're not familiar. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. And the whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and princes and generals, and the rich and the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? You know, there's, if you have watched some of the videos I've watched, there's many, many, many uh, underground cities that have been built all around the planet. And the leaders and the rich and the generals and the princes and the kings have all got places there. And when these days approach, they're ready to go underground. Who knows about that? They're ready to go. And it's, it's sort of like they're going into the caves. That is the Because the, 
the Bible didn't call them underground cities, they call them caves in the ground, you know, caves, holes, places, they've, they've dug holes and they've built cities down there and they've got them all fired up with their own, you know, uh, electricity uh, and, and so on and, and water supplies and everything else and they can, they can live down there indefinitely. And these cities are built all around the planet. They say even underneath Adelaide, there's tunnels, there's systems of tunnels underneath the city of Adelaide. So what we've got is the fulfillment of these scriptures is that these guys will be get down there, but when the wrath of God is getting poured out, they're going to be so frightened in their holes, they'll be saying, fall on us, rocks, fall on us and hide us from his face. Because we know who's coming. We know about this guy. We denied him all this time and now he's coming and he's actually fulfilled his word and now we are fearful because the wrath of God is going to come upon them and they know they can't beat him. There was a great earthquake, sun turns to darkness, moon to blood, stars fall from the sky, sky recedes like a scroll, and every mountain and island removed from its place. Let's just go to Joel. Just flip back to Joel. Joel 2.30, if you haven't got there, I'll, I'll read it. And he says this, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the dreadful day of the Lord. Before the coming. So this is before Jesus has come. Now what they say is the secret rapture has already come secretly, but it's so secret it's not in Scripture. But it's, it's before. So this time is before. Now there's some more Scriptures here which I won't read right now. I just want to zip over to here because we've only got like two minutes. And we've got seal one, which uh, when seal one is broken... If I'm correct in assuming that this conqueror bent on conquest brings peace, then seal one is broken and you have a three and a half year period, a peace treaty period occurring. And we know this because the, it says in Daniel 9.27, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, but in the middle of that seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering, which is the abomination. Oh, here it is. And one who causes desolation, will place abominations on the wing of the temple until the end is decreed. And Jesus goes into detail about that, that the Antichrist will come into the temple that has been rebuilt in Jerusalem and he will sit in the temple and announce himself to be God. And that is the abomination that causes desolation. And that is the breaking of that seven-year peace treaty. And that's where it says here, the Antichrist will break the peace treaty with Israel. The abomination that causes desolation is set up. Now, I believe that's seal two. So from that period, seal two, three, four, five, six. And at seal six, he says that these signs in the sky, before the coming in Joel, it says, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And then what we have is the, uh, when the seventh seal is broken, it begins the trumpet judgments. At that sixth seal, the kings and generals are saying, let the rocks fall on us, hide us from the face of him, because they know that these trumpet and bold judgments, which I've done a, a video called Apocalyptic Parallels, which parallels these as being one of the same judgments, are released, and you see trumpet one and bold one, two, three, four, right down to seven. And at the seventh trumpet, after that, we get the rapture of those still alive. And this is what I believe again. If you don't believe it, that's fine. We, I still love you. Um, 1 Corinthians 15.51. And it says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. At the last trumpet. And the, the only last trumpet in Scripture is trumpet number seven. Uh, at the last trumpet will be changed in a flash and the twinkling of an, an eye because the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. We who are still alive with Christ will be raised up to be with him and so we'll be with him forever and ever. And he says, encourage one another with these words. Now, it happens at the last trumpet and the last trumpet um, happens to be what I believe the last series of judgments and I did this video, as I said, where you're paralleling the seventh, seventh trumpet with the seventh bowl and the sixth trumpet with the sixth bowl, and they, they speak of the same things. 
So that's where the rapture is, I believe, because that's where it says it happens in Scripture, after the last trumpet, doesn't it? It doesn't say before the last trumpet, because then I'd have to move this back here somewhere. If it says after the last trumpet, I'll take, take it on its word. And then that's called the day of the Lord, the day he returns. Not the seven-year period in which he returns, there's only a single moment in which he returns. He doesn't return continuously for seven years. It's just in one moment. And he, he'll be quick. In the flash and the twinkling of an eye will be changed. But he says, it, it like the lightning that sh um, uh, flashes from the east to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. It'll be like, quick, bang, he's here. Amen? Who can see it? So if you haven't studied much of this, I don't know how much of this is making sense. But if you studied a bit of it, um, I think it's, it's quite valuable information. Amen. So next time in this series, we'll be looking at Revelation 6.12 onwards, and it's the breaking of the sixth seal, the 144,000 that are sealed. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, aren't they the 144,000, Andy? Well, they believe they are. They believe they are. Well, they, they have them. And, <laughs> but they're you know, they started telling everyone, you know, it's 140, we're the 144,000 and then they grew in number and yeah. before they knew it, they passed 144,000. So they had to change their story after that. I don't teach that the Jehovah's Witnesses are the 144,000. I teach that there's 144,000 Israelites. The great multitude in white robes and, this, and we talked about that a little bit today in the seven trumpets and we'll go through that and hopefully that'll bless you immensely. God bless you, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time, and may your spirit be with us today and, and bless us and, and guide us and direct our path so that we uh, can serve you better this week. I just pray that uh, uh, that everything I've just sort of uh, bombarded everyone today with a lot of information, I just pray that everyone here can really absorb it and take it to heart. But Lord, also be Bereans. And the word, uh, the word of God says that when Paul would preach to them about you, Lord, that the Bereans would go home and check if what Paul was saying was in fact true. And so, Lord, I pray for a Berean attitude in this church that they go home and that it challenges them to go home and check the things that have been said today. Um, and, Lord, I pray that uh, out of it, that, Lord, we can all gain more insight and uh, that that many of the uh, those in this congregation will come to me and say, well, have you thought of this and have you considered that, so that we can get more and more refined in the things that are getting taught. And so I just pray that you would uh, help us to keep growing and, and getting stronger in, in the faith. And also protect us from the days ahead, Lord, and help us to make the right decisions in the days ahead. Because, Lord, we're heading into some very troubling times, um, and we need your help. We need more faith. We need more of your strength, more of your resolve. Um, and we need your powerful anointing in our lives so that, Lord, we can live out this life for your glory. So I pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Be with us now and bless us. In the precious name, amen.